You're listening to the Big Finish Podcast, release date the 2nd of May 2021. He was the cleverest man John had ever known, but sometimes it didn't seem as if Henry Clevis lived in the real world. Welcome to you all. Yes, oh. you, you, and you, all yeah. three of you. That's right. I'm Benji Clifford. He's Nick Briggs. And Hello. here's what's coming up. In a moment, we chat about Big Finish's Guinness World Record. How amazing what, is that? What, what, uh, our latest review of our latest reviews uh, <laughs> is for Blake Seven, Chosen, and the Sixth Doctor Adventure Plight of the Pimpernel. You are currently being rescued by. The Scarlet Pimpernel! Then it'll be time for listeners' emails sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Just down a pint of orange squash. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Following that, we go behind the scenes on The Avengers comic strip adaptations, volume 5, featuring Linda Thorson. Yeah, the original Tara King, although she's not playing Tara King, but she is the original Tara King. Well, my name is Linda Thorson, ex Tara King. Don't forget our weekly stop off at the Randomoid Selectatron, where we'll give you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. The death knell of the Industrial Revolution. And to finish off, we tease you with the first 15 minutes of Iris Wildtime and Friends Fellowship of Ink performed by Louise Jameson. You're quite right. It's shocking. It's completely unheard of. Well, we can chat about, yeah. Big news, isn't it? Big yeah, news. We, we finally you, get to be in that book that everybody used to... You know, when you're a kid, you get given that book for Christmas. And now world records, TM. We're in there. Yeah, now we're in there. Well, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, what it said on our news page was, Big Finish Productions is proud to announce that its long-running series, Doctor Who, The Monthly Adventures, has received a Guinness World Records TM title for longest-running science fiction audio plays. You see, Doctor Who, The Monthly Adventures released a brand new audio play every month consecutively from July 1999 to March 2021, featuring 5th, 6th, 7th and 8th Doctors across the range. The official Guinness World Records TM title achievement is for the 275 total number of installments. Wow! So that's the thing. I mean, uh, we're really pleased about it. I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to do something like this is to celebrate the, the ending of the monthly adventures. I know some people are sad, but don't worry, great stuff is coming. Um, but we just, that's why we did that. We know that there are loads of other things that Big Finish does that have run for a long, long time. But this one has the record for the 275 consecutive episodes. I mean, for example, Bernie Summerfield, who, you know, we love and started Big Finish audio stuff. Um, just brilliant. And Lisa Bauman, just an incredible person. Lovely. Lovely person. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great actor. And just, uh, we owe her so much, you know. Um, and she started Big Finish off, and, that, and of course ben, Bernie Summerfield has been running longer than the monthly adventures. But, f- but b- because there are various series of Bernie Summerfield, there's not a consecutive run of that many episodes. So if any of you were worrying about why we, you know, hadn't got a record for Bernie Summerfield, it's because a we wanted to particularly celebrate the monthly adventures because because unlike Bernie Summerfield, they're coming to an end, or they have come to an end. Bernie Summerfield continues, hopefully forever, um, with her adventures in the with the Unbound Doctor at the moment. Brilliant stuff. But yeah, that's why that came about. I know there are loads of other ranges that have been around for ages with loads of episodes, but the monthly adventures gets the Guinness World Records achievement, God. which I think is only you know 
Rather lovely. Ra- rather <laughs> lovely. Nice. Also, look. Uh, oh, I just received a Doctor Who magazine. Look through the post. I've never seen somebody so excited to open a magazine there. <laughs> See, look, I get the one that doesn't have any text on the cover. Oh, very slick. Very slick. Yeah, I don't know whether that's a privilege. It's a lovely photograph of uh, Paul McGann in his big finish costume. And they're celebrating, was it 25 years of Paul McGann? God. Yeah. What a dude. What a dude. So, what a great bunch of audio. If you've, if you've not heard them, uh, you know, if you're new to Big Finish, do check them out. I mean, where do you start? That's a very good question. Uh, yeah. Just enjoy it. There's what so the Eighth Doctor did next. Oh, He went to the chip shop and uh, had a haddock. There's, look, there's even a picture of me as the fake Ninth Doctor. There it is. That? Look at that. Yeah, in the comic strip. Um, ooh, a bit of kissing. Uh Conrad Westmas there. Um, yeah. Harry who? What's that about? Harry Van Gorkum. Oh, he was the guy who was going to be the eighth doctor. And then they then he wasn't at the last minute. Because for some reason. Oh, and more with um, more with uh, Christopher Eccleston. Lovely. No picture of me in the article this month. It's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Ahern. Oh, no. oh, brilliant. Joe Ahern's talking there. Oh, I must read that. He directed Dalek and, uh, you know, Parting of the Ways and all that. Amazing. Uh, Gotta love a bit this? of Doctor Who magazine, haven't you? Yeah, the, t- t- the Timeless Doctor. Don't know what that's about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tiny and small and made of clay. Oh, yes. I've seen this person tweeting about her Doctor Who play things are they licensed the eighth doctor uh, jamie lenman discovers a remarkable amount of collectibles relating to mm, this is what the ambassadors of death yeah, is there we go. the fact of fiction really looking forward to delving into that wow Let's, we sort of pay homage to that in uh, next week's uh, third doctor adventures do we not we Benjamin? certainly do we certainly do Anyway, so I could just carry on turning. Pages, this is a review of a magazine. <laughs> and there's this other one. The specials come through Doctor Who from pitch to shooting script, writing Doctor Who. Lovely picture of Matt Smith on the front holding a script. I don't think he really was holding a script. I think they photoshopped that in. He was actually holding a banana, which he'd saved for his lunch. Yeah, I mean, are those Matt Smith's hands? That's what I want to know. Actually, could be anybody's hands, know. couldn't they? <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, so here it is. That was it. It was brilliant. That was it. it was a short, yes, I can short read, read at the speed of sound. Express yeah. reading there. Express reading. <laughs> well, now that we've reviewed uh, Doctor Who magazine and the <laughs> Doctor Who magazine special, I think it's time to, to see what people are saying about us. So it's time nice. for the latest reviews. As promised this week, it's Blake Seven Chosen and the Sixth Doctor, Plight of the Pimpernel. Let's go Blake Seven first. We have orders to rendezvous at Narok, the mutoid said softly, her voice calm and monotone. Wraith's eyes narrowed. I am aware of that, but we have spotted a wanted enemy ship. The mutoid stared at her, unblinking. We do not yet know the identity of the ship. Wraith gestured for the mutoid to move closer. Are you questioning my judgment? She asked in a tense whisper. No, Commander. 
Then you will carry out my orders without further delay. Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type chosen into the search pane at the top to find this beauty. First up, cultbox.co.uk Rich Cross says, This is a rip-roaring Blake 7 adventure, complete with an inventive, did-not-see-that-coming twist that is well-earned payoff, uh, that is the well-earned payoff of some clever plotting and that's nice. five stars four blue ones and one white one there oh the white one's my favorite one i think best, i think best, that shines yeah. that that means that's better than the four absolutely <laughs> uh indie mac user ian mccardle hello ian says olivia poulet provides engaging narration for the story following on from last year's uprising and outlaw chosen is another well-plotted and involving audiobook from big finish the time scales, and there's no reviewer attributed to this one, but whoever you are, I'm sure you're brilliant. Uh, the character work is excellent, touching upon backstory for several characters and easily becoming some of the best GAN material in any Blake 7 media. Oh. Olivia Poulet puts in an engaging performance and she does well in invoking the individual characters. If you're a Blakey 7 fan, that's right, I said Blakey 7's Blake 7. Okay, you <laughs> If you're a Blake 7 fan, this is easily a uh, recommended listen. If you're a Gan fan and want to see more done with his character, this is a must listen. That's 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 for Blake 7 fans, 10 out of 10 for Gan fans. <laughs> I'm just Gan the van, up. the man who can. Oh, Gan. Let's move on to Doctor Who, Plight of the Pimpernel. From Big Finish Productions. You are here to rescue us in a coffin. Correct. Your alternative is the sharp embrace of Madame la Guillotine. You're... You're him, aren't you? Hmm? Oh, him? Yeah, well, yes, I suppose I am. Yeah. You are currently being rescued by... The Scarlet Pimpernel. Doctor Who. Plight of the Pimpernel. Excuse me! Excuse yourself. What's the rush? The killer android's chasing me. I'd hide if I were you. That's... That is flower, isn't it? <laughs> a pimpernel. A scarlet pimpernel. On orders from Citizen Robespierre, I will hunt this pimpernel. And I will bring him here to the scene of his crime to make the acquaintance of Madame la Guillotine. <laughs> Positive recognition. Scarlet Pimpernel. Justice will be done. How is it that Sir Percy Blakeney is here at all? How is it that we are tending to a fictional character? Doctor, we've been over this. The Scarlet Pimpernel and his alter ego, the popish Sir Percy Blakeney, I adore them both. But they are creations of the novelist Baroness Orksy. So how are they both bedbound in the east wing of this stately home? Big Finish. We love stories. Uh, just go to bigfinish.com and type Pimpernel, that's P-I-M-P-E-R-N-E-L, into the search pane to find this one. 
So first up, winteriscoming.net, James Agas, Agas, I always, I think we've discussed this before, Uh, whatever it is, I'm sure it's brilliant. Uh, Plight of the Pimpernel is an extremely enjoyable audio. It's a fresh take on the celebrity historical story, especially since the celebrity in this case is a fictional one and packs in a lot of twists and turns during its running time, whilst also exploring many interesting themes. A solid audio adventure, Hear that? That was a solid audio adventure. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of fun to listen to. I lost my place. Completely lost my place. Cult box code. Top oh, there. Cultbox.co.uk, Ian McArdle again says, All in all, Plight of the Pimpernel is a festive treat. Starting out as swashbuckling bank holiday fare before twisting into something more challenging with themes of justice and redemption. And dare we say, just what the doctor ordered. And that gets five blue stars not five white ones anyway there you go and oh I've got another one here we are cult.rocks from Sam Molesky Plight of the Pimpernel is a triumph Chris Chapman's best Who script to date and a wonderful proof uh, that John Ainsworth's vision for the sixth Doctor Adventures range is going to be something to behold the commitment the six audios have had under his leadership to push into new territory both structurally Blood on Santa's Claw, Memories of a Tyrant, and thematically, the Lovecraft Invasion, still the highest dose of pure concentrated joy to come out in the year 2020, bodes incredibly well and has shown itself to be a fantastically balanced mix of tradition and modernity. I can confidently say that that is exactly what John Ames was, was trying to do. Bingo. Well, who review.wordpress.com? <laughs> was he trying Dan- to do bingo? <laughs> yes, he was trying to play bingo, but uh, yeah. the strats decided just to write something completely different. Um, who review.wordpress.com? Daniel Mansfield uh, says uh, Ply to the Pimpernel like Scorched Earth is one of the highlights of the Doctor Who monthly range not only uh, for this year but overall strongly plotted and with great characterisation bolstered by consistent performances Mm -hmm. there's very little to complain about here full of complex ideas about morality but also incredibly fun this story strikes the perfect balance and as such comes very highly recommended and that's five stars wow well they're sort of golden ones aren't they they're gold yeah. gold stars gold. Um, and the funny thing it's such a funny thing to say is that uh, there's very little to complain about it's like it sounds a bit disappointed I, I was really hoping to have a good old moan about something I like the idea uh, very little to complain about it's like, well I mean it, you know I suppose there's a bit of dust on the carpet down there but um, <laughs> you know very little to complain that's what I always think of you know yeah I shouldn't grumble, though, because he did give it five stars. You, you could grumble. I mean, there's very little to grumble about. I mean, what about six stars? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, at Rob Cope says, they seek him here, they seek him there. I'm really enjoying Plight of the Pimpernel at Chris Chapman 81 at Big Finish. The cast are on great form as Sixy and Perry strive to escape the attentions of Citizen Donut. Donut? Donut? Donuts. Donut. <laughs> And an appointment with Madame la Guillotine. Top draw. Actually, uh, I, I was watching Tommy Cooper last night, and Tommy oh, Cooper yes. was playing the Scarlet Pimpernel um, <laughs> for some reason. I don't know I've why. Got, he didn't need a reason, let's face it. No, he didn't need a reason. But yeah, anyway. That's marvellous. Just like that. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> the next 10 minutes, uh, Nick and Benji will do very used to, bad. He's drinking the pub paper. down the road from me here, actually. He used to um, drink in many pubs from my... Uh, he did what he lived. Know. He lived down the road. So there's a picture, there's like a little silhouette of him with his wand and his hat. Oh. Very interesting, it's, yeah. It's, get rid of it. It doesn't work. Have you seen that, that one he does where they bring on the box with the, the curtain in front? Oh, Two yeah. guys bring yes. on the box, and he does this thing with the drums rolling, and he goes and points in the box, and he does it loads of times. Then he opens the, he pulls back the can, and there's nothing there, and he says, "It doesn't work. Check, get rid of it." <laughs> I love him so much. He is, he is superb. I, oh, could talk about him for a million years. Well, that's it. That's it for this week. That was a network. <laughs> well, uh, uh, next time... Spoon uh, jar, 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 spoon. Jar, jar. Oh, yeah, that's the classic, isn't it? Uh, well, my favourite one, he's got his hand, is it? See that there? And he's twisting his hand around. The other one's just the same. <laughs> it's like, why? I don't even understand. This is stupid. Um, anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, next time, we're talking about the Grey Man of the Mountain. Oh, yeah. Uh, Seventh Doctor Adventure featuring the Brigadier. I did the sound... Uh, did I do, yeah, did the sound yeah. and music on that you one. Did. Uh, you great did. Great fun, that uh, I, I seem to recall it was um, it was pretty it was pr- I can't remember if it was pretty cold or pretty hot outside but because it's featured in the, it was a very very cold snowy story it yes. felt like I was in the Arctic because 90% of the time all I could hear was well let's hope um, you get mentioned in the reviews yes it sounded to me like the sound designer was incredibly cold throughout the <laughs> cold throughout the entire thing cold ah uh, yes there we go Coming up very soon, we go behind the scenes with the Avengers, Steed and Tara, and the original Linda Thorson Tara, yeah, in fantastic in a fantastic guest role. In the meantime, it's listeners' emails. Just down a pint of orange squash. Oh, dear. <laughs> it sounds like it's coming back up. Oh, dear. Um, I love emails. You know, there are very little joys in the world. But one of the big joys, I think, is emails because, you know, they just. They, they don't even really exist in a physical format, but yet they just make you so happy when you read them. And all you have to do if you want to add to my happiness is send your emails to podcast at bigfinish.com. And they might get, re- you know, they might get read out. They might not, but we try to make sure that they do. Yes, yes. We got one here from our good friend Alex Pass. Ah, uh, subject of this one is uh, Carolyn Seymour in uh, Seymour in conversation. I have to apologise. I'm not very good on here today because um, my hay fever is really playing up. I've taken my the cooperative hay fever and allergy relief, but um, it doesn't seem to be doing the job. So I do apologise if I just speak like an imbecile. But yes, it's oh. Carolyn Seymour in conversation. Uh, hello again, Mr. Benji and Mr. Nick. Hello. I won't lie that with all the amazing audio dramas coming out in April and May this year, I did seriously consider giving the Carolyn Seymour in conversation interview a miss for a, for a, a later day. But I'm so glad I didn't. You can't miss it. It's Carolyn Seymour. You just can't do that. It just, just isn't on. Um, it's not an easy listen, especially if you have some degree of personal experience with any of the subjects being discussed. But this amazing actress is so candid about her personal history and how she has fought and overcome her demons that you can't help but be inspired. Thank you for this big finish and thank you, Carolyn. P.S. to Toby Haydock, excellent job conducting the interview. I'm sure yeah. at times it wasn't easy. P.P.S. Yes. I look forward to either Briggs's uh, Briggs finish, uh, the old Nick, six decades of Daleks, and more uh, memoirs of memoirs of a bearded legend. 
something similar later in the year. Happy times and places, Big Al. Yeah, that'd be uh, good, Nick. Well, it's alluding to me being interviewed. Yeah, yeah. that'd be yeah. good fun. Hear well, your story. I think they hear enough of me. Uh, next up, Matthew Duncan says, "Hi guys, it's more Second Doctor content. Is the content? Is the content? Is the subject? It's the content. I'm sorry, I'm not reading this very well because I've not got hay fever. Uh, <laughs> hi guys, been loving the content release as of late. You've all been killing it. I'd like to ask if there's any more information about the Second Doctor content specifically, but anything from upcoming adventures sets that you could possibly reveal. Well." I mean, there is more information, but if you'll forgive me, I'm not going to tell you now, because what we do is we have a marketing plan, which I may have mentioned before, where um, we work out the best time to say it. And we say it at a point where everyone's ready to hear it uh, and we get the maximum impact and the maximum reach. So, you know, lots of people come and buy stuff. So if I were to leak details to you now, that would that would just mess it all up wouldn't it because you know in a few weeks time we might do a press release about it and we we'll go yeah well I, I think I, I heard that. Nick Briggs talk about that and oh, did you oh right so and it just turns something that could be huge fun and entertaining into something that feels like a damp squib that was already known so that that's why people are secretive about stuff so uh, so I can't tell you but I mean I'm extremely excited here's my level of excitement <laughs> about the second Ooh. Doctor adventures in particular working on some great stuff um, with Mark Wright, who's producing them. Uh, and I think I'm the script editor. Well, I'm certainly having a lot to do with it anyway. I'll, I'll be <laughs> directing them too. So that's going to be great fun. Excellent. Well, finally, we've got one here from... Um, oh, is it... How how does one pronounce this? Well, Z Alpha. I'd want to say Z, Z Alpha, but it's with an X. I guess that yeah. sort of be... It's actually his name, Stuart, he reveals at the end of the email. Oh, well, never mind. Z Alpha or Stuart. Or Stuart. Mm. Um, hi, Nick and Benji. Been a fan since I got my copy of Sirens on cassette. And uh, especially now during lockdown, when you're probably one of the few things keeping us sane. Well, unless you listen to the podcast, in which is the opposite. Um, I recently picked up an uh, uh, Hour of the Cybermen. And imagine my delight to discover the return of the most excellent Davy Banks. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, as cyber leader and Mark Hardy, uh, and Mark Hardy as his lieutenant. Uh, are there any plans for more Earthshock era Cybermen stories? When you say that, I just hear that, you know, that clang of metal. That ding, ding. Um, I'm a huge fan and they're by far my favourite Cybermen. Uh, kindest regards, Stuart. Well, I think uh, there is another one with David Banks, isn't there? I believe there are two. I want to yeah, say there there's are. There's one with the, the fifth Doctor in, isn't there? Yes. Do you Steve know which Fox one it is? did the sound, I believe. Well, he did that for Hour of the Cybermen, did the brilliant music. David Banks, Cybermen, it was a fifth Doctor one. finish. I'm pretty sure of it. Oh, yeah, just type David Banks into the search yeah, engine. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that's it. It's a war zone and yes. conversion. Yeah. So that's that. Have a Here's the trailer for that. Oh, the stench of battle, fire and blood. A valley of crimson trenches. Fires burning into a charcoal sky. Oh dear. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who. War Zone. Conversion. This is going out to every combatant in Sector Q. Grit those teeth and give me a great big War Zone! War Zone! I can't hear you! War Oh, you lot sound pretty awesome. Stay alive out there. Hold on. Why do we even need to do this? 
Let's just stop running and go home. Huh. Problem solved. Huh. Anyone who stops too long gets picked up by the sweeper. And that means disqualification, incarceration, public shaming. Well, maybe that's better than killing ourselves out here. Ah! Having your biology physically rewritten must be excruciating. Most humans would have been driven insane long before now. The human female is suitable for conversion. I'd rather die. Perhaps, but that would be a waste of resources. You will become like us. Big finish. We love stories. How bad is it? Doctor, talk to me. Please. The Cybermen took Adric. I refuse on my lives. I refuse to let them take another friend from me. You hear me, Tegan? This is not happening. Not today. Not ever again. He was also in The oh, Ultimate sorry. Adventure as well, wasn't he? Yeah, but not as um, not the as Cybermen. The Cybermen no, funnily enough, I was playing the Cybermen in that. That was quite <laughs> funny. He was playing Carl the Mercenary. And as I've mentioned before, it was very sweet when I spoke to uh, David, not having seen him for years, but I was at a Doctor Who Appreciation Society convention. And I went over to him and he said, oh, hi, Nick. And I said, look, we'd love you to come back and do some Cybermen. He said, well, Nick, I think you do the Cybermen now, don't you? And I said, yeah, but there's no reason why you can't come and do, you know, your specific ones. I think that would be fantastic. And we made it happen. I think Jamie Anderson directed our other Cybermen, didn't he? Uh, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so he was. Yeah, it, does, it worked. Does, perfectly, uh, I thought. does David have the sound of the cyber voice in his headphones when recording, or does he just play it raw? I think we put. Yeah, I think we put a sound effect in there so he could sort of see it, hear it. Sorry. Excellent. Oh, <laughs> he says in a non-ironic way. Yes. So uh, there you go. That is the situation. I'm sure if David wants to come back, we'll have him back at some some point in the future more emails next time we'll be giving you a 15 minute uh, tease of a rather wonderful iris wild time audiobook fellowship of ink by paul mars and narrated by louise jameson what more could you want later in the podcast iris is for those of you who don't know a space time traveler who uses a big red bus instead of a police box if you go to london you see those big red buses you cannot uh, think of anybody else but Iris. Uh, in the meantime, let's go behind the scenes on the latest adventures just out this week, hot off the press, uh, for that fabulous 1960s phenomenon, The Avengers. That's right, with Steed and Tara King as featured in the pages of TV comic and beautifully adapted here into a mind-bending, action-packed audio adventure extravaganza. Hello, my name is Samuel Clemens and I am the director of this box set of The Avengers, Steed and Miss King, the comic adaptations. Well, this is quite the United Nations. Yes. To what do we owe this meeting of the minds? Take a look through the telescope. Hello, I'm John Dorney and I script edit The Avengers as well as writing the episode Whatever Next. A lot of my favourite episodes of The Avengers are by Philip Levine who wrote a good number of them, like you know, the Cybernauts, for example, and uh, episodes like um, From Venus with Love and The See-Through Man and Escape in Time. And those last three I mentioned all slightly riff on the same central notion. They start with something that seems ludicrous and science fictional before presenting it as a slightly less ludicrous but definitely real-world uh, solution. Given that one of them was about time travel and one of them was about aliens, 
and my story was about time traveling aliens um you can probably see why those stories came together in my head and i thought you know what I want to do this as a Philip Levine story. I'm Julian Wadham and I play John Steed. Hi there, I'm Emily Woodward and I play Tara King. Which one are you? Thrum or Grawling? Neither. King. Tara? Did you not see that coming? This one was about aliens and I think Tara sort of uh, struggles with that sort of sci-fi side of it. I don't think she was very believing. I'm a big fan of John Dorney's scripts. They've consistently been a huge pleasure to play and they're always flirtatious and um, irreverent and I, I, I really look forward to them. My name is Louisa Klein and I am playing the alien and also Natalia, the Russian agent the episode whatever next and I'm also playing corporate bell in the episode how does your garden grow this is my lieutenant growling we come from the other side of the milky way ah it's the the aliens how does one approach an alien I suppose um as you'd approach any other character really you think of what they want how they're going about getting what they want playing an objective So the second episode that we have, which is How Does Your Garden Grow? A wonderful episode by Avengers stalwart Dan Starkey. And um, the episode starts with a jungle or a forest springing up overnight on an RAF airstrip. And Stephen King are brought in to investigate how on earth uh, this could have happened. My name's Mina Anwar and I'm playing Ada Johnson. Hello, dear. You got lost hiking. (laughs) We're a long way from Carnaby Street. I seem to have mislaid my Kendall mint cake, it's true. It's like any time I get a big finish script or get asked to be in a big finish, it's always exciting. I absolutely love reading them. I invariably read them all the way straight through and they're just wonderful. And this one particularly because it was an Avengers one, which is really fascinating because it was set up north as well, which is really nice. I always like to place something with my... Kind of authentic accent, even though I'm from Lancashire and I was playing a Yorkshire woman. My name's Tim Bentink and I'm playing Carstairs and Amos. I think this script is absolutely wonderful. It's it's absolutely proper, proper Avengers stuff. It's got a mad, crazed, demonic nutcase who wants to take over the world, which is standard, really, for the- for the Avengers. And the third episode is A Very Civil War by uh, Roland Moore. And this is such a, a fantastic episode. It kind of reminds me of one of the episodes, the Peel episode, Escape in Time. It has a sort of a, uh, that, that sort of uh, element to it, the sort of Peter Bowles, Thyssen character uh, feel to this one. And it finds uh, John Steed and Tara King investigating uh, the whereabouts of a robbery where I think five million pounds goes missing and then reappears without the assailants taking the money. I'm Roland Moore and I wrote A Very Civil War. It's not often we close an investigation this easily. No, it's not. A robbery where someone goes to great lengths, not to mention takes great risks, to steal something and then they leave it behind. With A Very Civil War, that wasn't the title, by the way, that... um, I really like the title, and I'm not being egotistical by saying that because uh, John Dorney thought it up. But yeah, I really like the title, but the actual comic strips don't have a title, so you can sort of do what you want there. The great thing is you've got the, these cliffhangers that each one works up towards, and um, and that makes it really interesting because 
quite often at the end of a scene you've already got a cliffhanger you can use from from what's there and lastly we have the episode number four mother's day written by sarah grahala which is just a fantastic episode not only because it sort of heralds the return of uh, of Linda Thorson to the Avengers, but it's just the other element um, is that it explores Mother's character a lot more, and we sort of get to hear a little bit more about uh, about him. He's sort of front and centre of of the episode, which is a little bit rare. I'm Sarah Grahala, and I'm a playwright. This is the first day off I've had in years. If you're sure, Mother. I am, Miss King. And there's no need to worry. I'm sure Aunt Gertrude will take extremely good care of me. The comic strip I got, which is about a school sports day, a mother being invited to give some trophies, and a couple of mysterious men pretending to be schoolboys and sort of chasing him around and trying to kill him very unsuccessfully. It was a little bit silly, so... I made some changes to try and make it a bit more cohesive. My name is Nicholas Day, and I'm playing Pennington Smythe. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Pennington Smythe, the junior games master, lowest of the low? Please call me Crispin. It was a bit of a thrill to be offered the Avengers. It was seminal television in its day. It's an extraordinary thing to be sitting here in my home in London while Jacob is in Yorkshire. Julian was in Peckham, I think, where I used to live. And here we are all connecting down the internet. It's very weird and still enormously pleasurable. We've got Linda Thorson guesting in an episode, which pretty much the moment it was whispered as a possibility felt like the most exciting possibility going. Well, my name is Linda Thorson, ex-Tara King, and I am playing uh, Aunt Gertrude, Mother's Aunt Gertrude, and I'm also playing Tatiana. I'm not going anywhere. Yes, you are, and I won't take no for an answer. I mean, I just thought the script was fabulous to begin with, and these great... um, you know, wild characters and, and the plot. And I was very attracted to playing the two characters, of course, who I think we'll agree could not be more different. I mean, I call her a real Cassandra on Gertrude because she just predicts the worst outcome of every possible situation. <laughs> and then Tatiana, who is brave and fierce and, uh, you know, revenging. But I also love her idea of Russia and spies. She despises them, she thinks they're absurd. And she works for herself, but it's all to revenge her son's terrible treatment at a British boarding school. We share the same agent, and so when he told me that that Linda was going to be in it, I mean, I was terrified. Obviously, you know the pressure of being here in the room with her, the original one. But um, I needn't have worried because she's just the loveliest lady. Just type the Avengers into the search pane at the top at bigfinish.com. There's a whole host of beautiful stuff there for you to feast your ears on, as the saying goes. Uh And we'll be teasing you with some crazy antics from the pen of Paul Mars with his much-loved creation, Iris Wildtime, soon. Mm -hmm. But just before that, it's... (laughs) 
the Randomoids Electrotron, where we give you a 25% discount on a randomly selected big finish release. And it is genuinely randomly selected. And Benji is yeah. now about to genuinely randomly select something with the Randomoid Electrotron website. Go. I have initiated the button. And the button comes back with 145 Doctor Who Industrial Evolution. Oh, yeah. I Eddie think I Robson, directed this. Yeah. Colin Baker, Maggie Stables. Absolute yeah. dream team there. And it has, yeah, Thomas Brewster in it, you know, uh, played by um, uh, John Picard. Yeah, oh, listen, have a listen to the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Industrial Evolution. My darling daughter, please sit beside me on the grass. Father, what? Shh, my dear. Listen. Listen. Can't you hear it? Hear what? The death knell of the Industrial Revolution. Did you know these factories have more accidents than any other in Lancashire? Really? Mr Townsend, you haven't seen Mr Gibson, have you? No, I haven't. Why? The machines are not at fault, Miss Stratton. No one's seen him since he went down to the cellar. That was six hours ago. They are of the latest design of the highest quality manufacturer and were acquired by Mr Belfridge at great personal expense. What's that? The pipes. There's something in the pipes. Everyone's got to get out of here. Oh, he's coming already. He must have heard the disturbance. Oh, that's quite a stroke of luck, isn't it? Oh, well, maybe it's not. What's happened? Awkward situations of the doctor's bread and butter. Oh, no, doctor. You've had your chance now. Get out of my way or I'll shoot. This process is evolving towards ever more advanced technology, but it seems benign. Stephen, the machines! They're running by themselves! This situation is rapidly getting out of hand. They should be fixing the floor. Not anymore, they're not. No, no, this is not the way. It's like... It's like they're alive. This way, we can escape through the cellars. Can you just hear me? There's a monster down there. But that's impossible. I'm getting out. Flash! Whoa! Flash! Flash! No! Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. I've got many stories I could tell you about this one. Uh, I had such fun directing it. Uh, I'll tell you one story. Um, Rory Kinnear's in it. I think it's the only time he's ever done a Big Finish. Let's uh, check that. I'm really surprised, actually. Yeah, I thought yeah. he would have done more. Rory Kinnear, come on. Yeah, that's the only one he's done. Wow. Yeah, and he, uh, he was... Absolutely superb. I did sound a bit like a Dalek then. He was, he was, I don't know why. I can't imagine why. Um, really good. And he really just got the style of it. And, you know, I knew that he'd worked with Mark Gatiss and, and yeah, well, I knew he'd worked with Mark Gatiss. And I, and I, I just went, uh, and I said, Rory, so I love what you're doing. And he said, oh, thank you very much. And I said, um, you clearly know your Doctor Who. And he went, I've never seen it. Oh, wow. And I said, seriously, he said, yeah, I've never watched an episode of Doctor Who. And I said, that is incredible because you've got, I mean, he's just smart. He read the script. He thought, I know what is required here, this kind of drama. And there's a particular pitch you need to peg it at. And he, ah, it's brilliant. Lovely. Such a lovely cast and lovely memories of dear uh, Maggie Stables, you know, who we lost quite a few years ago now. She was a great friend of mine. I'd known her for years and worked with her in the theatre. And she does a fantastic job. And it was always a delight to behold the um, friendship between Maggie and Colin as well. Uh, yeah, I remember Colin and I sitting next to each other at Maggie's funeral. 
um, having warm remembrance of her. Anyway, there you go. So I'm going to email uh, Jackie and Sue about it so that they can put this offer live for 25% off. In the meantime, while I'm doing that, Benji will explain how to get your discount right. And it's really not a difficult thing to do. All you need to do is go to bigfinish.com. When you're on there, go to the podcast page. That'll be on the menu. There you'll have the podcast in question. Click read more and it will bring you to the sort of blurb of that podcast. Uh, On there then, it'll say just click here and enter the code BUCKUP. That's B-U-C-K-U-P, all capitals, no spaces. Uh, Enter that one in and you'll get your 25% discount. It's an absolutely great way just to, to just shave a few pounds off a release and build up Ooh. that collection, complete the collection, you know. Just Ooh, that, that was off. a good bit of shaving there. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't forget be, to, to sweep up the shavings, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Might be a couple of pennies there. Um, you never know. But yeah, that's how you do it. Uh, let us know in the email sent to podcast at bigfinish.com if you have uh, taken advantage of this and if you enjoyed the release. There we go. Well, there you are. I've sent the email, so it should all happen. It says here, explain in massive cap. Explain! Um, You've done the explain. <laughs> I know, I know, maybe chuckle. <laughs> just, uh, yes, you see, what people don't know is Nick just types like a Dalek all the time. Um, <laughs> but there we go, Rand. Cheers for uh, delivering the goods, as always. Uh, I, I've never had a day where Rand isn't lovely. Yeah. Uh, next week's podcast is entitled Three and Nine. Uh, not old money, though, of course. It's just. It's just the title. Uh, just a very exciting week of third and ninth Doctor Adventures. I mean, God, that's a cocktail within itself Isn't of just it? wonderful Incredible. things. Uh, we go behind the scenes with Christopher Eccleston and we dramatise you with the third Doctor and Liz Shaw in The Unzal Incursion by Mark Wright. Now, that was me and Nick uh, yeah. buddied up on that one to do post-production. Uh, we don't do a lot of things together, despite no. talking to each other all the time and no. and doing the podcast. We don't work together no, that, not that really. much. So it was a, not a by delight. design, just by, yeah. Just, just you know, it's just, so it's absolute delight for us to... to really geek out wasn't it on, on third <laughs> doctor stuff fantastic it's, you know, stuff great sound design well and i challenged you for the music didn't i i said oh you know it'd be really good if you could do some kind of inferno ambassadors of death style stuff for this one and uh, you uh wonderfully took the challenge and excelled and so it's just a lovely listen it's it's oh. what i would say with this one is just really if, if you love that that kind of time of doctor who third doctor um then you know it's it's a love letter and it's just such fun and really hope you enjoy it yeah well in the meantime let's say a hearty goodbye for now a hearty hearty goodbye goodbye for for now. now here's iris fellowship of ink written by paul mars narrated by louise jameson chapter one october 1930 something He was the cleverest man John had ever known, but sometimes it didn't seem as if Henry Clevis lived in the real world. Like many brilliant fellows, he was caught up in the life of the mind and everything that he had going on up there. John knew that, in their partnership, he would always be the one who must attend to more practical affairs. Times such as now, when they were settling into a new town, a new college, a new everything, were precisely when a bit of pragmatism was required. But John saw that Henry was walking around in a daze. 
Just today, at lunchtime, Henry came back to their disordered rooms and said he'd been to pick up a huge pile of posts that had been waiting for him at the porter's lodge. It had been building up during the summer months, awaiting their arrival at Darkholm's, and the porter was keen to get all this stuff off his hands. John knew the kinds of things Henry received in the post on a daily basis and didn't blame Mr. Mack, the Hexford College porter, for wanting it out of his tidy lodge. When he came back, though, Henry was holding not a single parcel or letter. He looked befuddled and distracted. John was carrying a tea tray and saw at once there was something the matter with him. Oh, sorry, John, he smiled. I don't mean to alarm you. It's simply... I was down in the porter's lodge just now and I could have sworn I saw a... fawn. Curly hair, little horns and a goatee beard. Devilish-looking creature on goatee legs. Picking up his own post. He nodded good morning and trip-trapped out of the place and no one else seemed to notice but me. The fellow was half-nude, for goodness sake. I was too flabbergasted to say anything. John put down the tea tray and frowned at him. They'd had this kind of thing before. It was often down to overwork and stress. Come and sit down. Look, hot buttered muffins. I found a nice little bakery on Cathedral Wind. For once, high tea didn't mollify Henry. He sat down heavily in his favourite armchair, which was one of the few pieces of furniture in their rooms that didn't have boxes or heaps of gubbins piled upon it, looking for a home. His dear face seemed so confused to John. I know what I saw. It was a fawn. Straight out of the other place. Here, John. Right here in dark homes. His friend nodded. All right, he thought, given the benefit of the doubt. Say he's not just seeing things. What would a fawn be wanting here? Is it on the faculty, do you think? Henry glared at him, and John saw that levity wasn't the way to get him out of this funk. He bade me good morning, John. I was too startled to say anything at all in reply. John nodded and they stared at each other. Is there something uncanny here, do you think? John asked him. I think it rather looks like that, yes, said Professor Clevis, with a forlorn expression. He sighed and leaned forward to take up his china cup. The steam curled and misted up his tiny round glasses. We were fools to think we could simply move away and find somewhere free of enchantment. It was worth a try, John said grimly. A new start, somewhere you can settle and get your strength back. I fear that the rigours of the past few years have worn you out, Henry. There's nothing wrong with me, he snapped. I have a job to do, and I'll do it to the best of my abilities. It might even have been a good fawn that you saw, and not an evil one at all. I'll be the judge of that, Henry said darkly, and slurped his tea. John knew that Henry was dismayed, more dismayed than he would ever let on to anyone, even to John, his loyalist friend and companion. John knew that, for all his shows of bluster and intent, 
Henry would have relished a more sedate life in that beautiful, leafy, ancient northern town. It would have done him so much good to relax into its lofty, gothic splendour and to be, for a while, simply the fussy old academic that he was meant to be. He could finish that book he had been trying to get done for years. He could have students who would follow him around and flock to listen to his every utterance. All these things would be good for this exhausted, ageing man. He had worn himself ragged these past few years, living among enchantments and mystical beings. When Henry went off to his room for an afternoon doze, John found himself hoping fervently that maybe the fawn had been an hallucination. John even hoped Henry might be going bananas. That way, at least, there wouldn't be any magic involved. John set about unpacking a few more boxes. Books, books, and more books. Some of them were very musty, stodgy things relating to Henry's expertise in mythology. Gilt-covered, leather-bound things from all over the world in a hundred different languages. Also lurid paperbacks, murder mysteries, and curious scientific romances. Some of these he had enjoyed as much as Henry, when they took their frequent walking holidays around England and Wales and Scotland, and when they travelled abroad, they would carry heaps of these things with them and read aloud to each other in their tent or their shared pension rooms at night. Stories, Henry Clevis always said, were meant to be read aloud, like the old, old tales and myths. They were passed on by word of mouth, and so we ought, he always said, whenever we can, sit around the campfire and liberate them once more by speaking them aloud. It was hard for John to see his mentor and beloved friend become so doddery and unsure. For the past six months, John mused, he'd been in quite a state. As the date for their removal to the north and dark homes approached, John had rather hoped that Henry would rally and that the challenge of a new position and new surroundings and interesting new people would put the colour into his complexion again. John was waiting for the spring to come back into his step. Henry was looking a little lost. He looked daunted by the new place with its soot-encrusted buildings and its winding streets and the green sluggish river that looped the whole town, almost making it an island. He looked like he felt he had been brought here to face something terrible. Ah, John thought, but I'm letting his mood get to me. Come on, John, buck up, don't get gloomy. Henry Clevis needs your help and your strength. He needs to be shown that you are both going to be happy in this university town of Darkholms. John told himself that he needed to forget about his own shivers of foreboding and just get on with it. With that, he decided to take himself off to the porter's lodge, down in the quad below. He'd fetch up the post and the parcels that Henry had left behind down there. Maybe there was something amongst all that lot that might cheer him up. By evening, Henry had rallied somewhat. When he emerged at supper time, he was bright and breezy. John could see the way he wanted them to play it. Nothing at all had happened down at the porter's lodge earlier that day. He had never seen anything untoward. All right, John thought, if that's the way he wants it. 
Briskly, Henry was rubbing his hands and looking spick and span with his face scrubbed till it was gleaming and his fluffy white hair and beard washed and combed. He was wearing a red velvet jacket and checkered trousers. He could be quite the dandy in his own way. What's it to be, John? Shall we brave the refectory for supper? It was the first time dining there for both of them, and it was a big moment. Henry was the new appointment to Hexford College, a star in the world of obscure mythology. When he took his place at one of the long wooden tables and John slid in next to him, they were both aware of the eyes of dozens of scholars upon them. A few of them muttered to each other. Henry beamed broadly with goodwill at all of them, nodding affably, and John's heart twinged slightly. Henry was always so friendly towards the world at large. He behaved as if everyone was going to be his friend. John was wearing a striped rugby top and some decent trousers. Henry had suggested he wore his best, i.e. not torn or dirty, black blazer, just to show some respect. They hadn't known in advance how formal the meal was going to be. Not very turned out to be the case. Many of the dons were slouching about in everyday attire. John even noticed one chap tottering by in an ancient pair of slippers. Only a handful were wearing the full regulation black dress and mortarboard. In the guttering candlelight, they looked like hideous crows flapping about, pecking here and there before they settled to roost. All in all, it was pretty shambolic, much less grand than the last place Henry had worked and where John had studied. John had expected more from Hexford College and the University of Darkholms. Women with thick arms and smudged aprons brought round vast tureens of soup. Henry peered at the contents, nodded and smiled, but there was no charming the dinner lady looking after their table. All around them rumbled quiet, cultivated conversation. I don't think I can stick eating here every evening, John said. We won't, Clevis told him out of the corner of his mouth. Once we're fixed up in the rooms, I'll get the old camp kitchen assembled again. John grimaced at the thought of this. He lived in fear whenever Henry had that portable gas ring burning. His culinary achievements might have been astonishing with such basic equipment, but it was still entirely possible that one day he would burn the whole place down. Henry was very easily distracted. Do you think you'll like it here? John asked him bluntly. Oh, I'm sure I will, he said, dunking a hunk of rustic bread into his bright green soup. Why, I like just about anywhere, don't I? There's always something to love about a new place. You just have to go looking for it a bit harder sometimes. The river's rather beautiful, John told him, and all the woods and things around it, all about the outskirts of the medieval town. Very stately, the river, very slow and ancient, unspoiled. There you go, then, Henry smiled. You found something good straight away. Well done, John, I can always rely on you. John had been for a run in the late afternoon as the sun was going down over the cathedral and the lofty battlements of the castle. And it was, he thought, truly spectacular down in those dells where the river wound its graceful way. He did think Henry would enjoy it. 
Whenever he went out on his evening constitutionals, wherever they were living or staying, he would look for places and things he knew Henry would enjoy. Professor Sneagle, said a high, rasping voice all of a sudden. It came from a stooped figure in professorial robes. He was glaring at the two men across the refectory table. I beg your pardon, asked Henry, and then, oh, Professor Sneagle, of course. How are you? He jumped up and grasped the old man's hand, shaking it with such force it seemed like he was in danger of breaking him apart. John, John, this is Professor Sneagle. The old man gave John a wintry glance, and he could feel a shiver go through him. Sneagle's face had a look of a crab apple, rotten and withered and still on the tree. You're very welcome here, Professor Clevis, said Sneagle. However, some of the faculty have expressed... Aha, cried Henry. I remember what you're famous for. Rare and fabulous beasts. That's what the world knows of you, Professor Sneagle. This put the desiccated old chap off his stroke. What? Your marvellous book, nodded Henry enthusiastically, about all the rarest and most fabulous beasts in the world. Astonishing work, I must say. Essential reading. I keep my copy on my bedside table for regular consultation. World class, Professor Sneagle. Oh, gasped the old cove, looking like he had never received any kind of compliment in his life. He looked, John thought, almost like a young girl who just had her first ever kiss. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, said Henry, sitting back down to his soup and tucking in with relish. John knew that Henry's copy of Sneagle's Book of Monsters wasn't by his bedside, in the new place or in the old. It was kept in the lavatory. Henry said he'd never read such claptrap in all his life. Now John remembered where he knew the name Sneagle from. It was at the top of every sheet of their toilet paper. Henry asked, Now, what is it I can do for you, old fellow? Um, said Sneagle, wrong-footed by the new boy's kindness. You've been listening to a non-record-breaking Big Finish production. But <laughs> never mind, it's okay, you oh, know. Oh, I'm bitter. Oh, well, you know, you'll be bitter after hearing this bit. Don't forget to rate, review <laughs> and subscribe. Oh, that's bitter.